Okay, guys, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 today, so we're taking another another break from Peter. I just really, probably about a week ago, you know, just really started feeling like I wanted to, to, to do something on something on the on the uh, just the persecuted church that we're seeing. And so when I use the word persecuted church, guys, I do understand that you don't you know you don't have to give up your life for Christ to be persecuted. But when I'm using that language today, you guys probably know what I'm referring to. Our brothers and sisters who are who are who are losing their lives physically. That uh, it was just really with the events taking place my heart, my mind was centered upon them even a week ago. So we are going to take a break this week from Peter. I'm sure we'll be back in 1 Peter next week. But uh, if you wouldn't mind standing, uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Revelation 6, 9 through 11. It says this, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. You guys can have have a seat. Can you pray for us? Father, I just pray that You would give Your people ears to hear Your Word, Lord. Um, give me the ability to communicate it, Lord. I pray that that Your church would be edified today, that they would be encouraged, Lord, that we would all be encouraged. <clears throat> Lord, if nothing else, not that it's a small thing, Lord, but that, that we would be reminded that our eyes would be open to, to pray for those, Lord, who name the name of Christ, our, our family, our brothers and sisters, Lord, who live in a very hostile situation, God, all around the world. So Lord, I just pray, Father, that Your hand would protect them and that You would help us to be more faithful in lifting lifting them up to You before the throne, God. So please, speak to Your church today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we, we, guys, when you, so I want to speak to each one of you, I want you to just... You know, just kind of look at, search your own heart. When we think about our our brothers and sisters around the world who literally are being butchered, and it's not just now. It's happening around the world, and we we are the exception here in America. We have been since our since our nation's been founded. From what most Christians face, when you think about it, I want you to do just an honest. Inventory of your heart. How often do you pray for the persecuted church? And I'm asking myself that too. Okay. This this recent uh, these recent events in Afghanistan has really brought conviction in my life for not remembering them as much as I should. Um, so I want you to just search your heart as as we go throughout tomorrow. You know, today through the through the message and. If the Lord can work on our hearts just in that area, guys, then that's a good thing. So I think more than anything, I would like us to to remember 
more so in, in your personal prayer time, when you're praying with your spouse, us corporately to remember, moving forward to remember to pray for these precious brothers and sisters. We're commanded to remember those. And I don't think we fail to do that intentionally. I think we just lose sight of it. We get busy in our life. We do have struggles and trials, but it's a different world in in other places of the world being a Christian. And so we'll talk about that more as we go through. I I used to have a picture. I know Trish knows what I'm talking about. I think Jamie does. I don't know where it was, but it's, it's an actual photograph that somebody took that a missionary gave me several years ago, about 12 years ago. He, he had been a missionary in North Korea at one point, and he gave me this picture to keep. And we looked at it and we wept together. Um, it was a picture, as long as you could see in this picture, was believers. They were lined up, and there was a trench in front of them with a soldier with a rifle at each head. And he's weeping, telling me this. And, 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 and you could see the soldiers with the rifle through the head had their head turned back like that so they wouldn't get splattered. Carl, did you ever see that picture? I, I don't know what happened to it. It's around somewhere. But. but he said that's a reality in places like that in the world. Just let that, let that sink in. This, the, the, the young girl closest to the camera was probably 15 years old. And that's a known fact when they come to Christ over there that that's probably going to happen. <clears throat> when we look at our text today, the first, the first four seals in, in Revelation chapter 6, really it's revealing the judgments on earth during the church age. The opening of the fifth seal brings, it's a heavenly vision and it brings it back to heaven. That's where the vision's at. It's in heaven. To those who have been slain. That's what we're going to see. And so the message of Revelation, guys, and really regardless of what, what your eschatology is, the, the, the message of Revelation is clearly about the, the, the conquering King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's meant to be an encouragement to the church. To the churches then that John was writing to and also to us. And it's, it's really to help, to help us prepare for persecution. Really more so than any other book. Even more so than the book we're going through, First Peter. It's really to encourage the Christians of that time and, and, and us as well to remind us that when the persecution from the world comes, that Christ is King. That He is the conquering King. <clears throat> and so just to be reminded of, of, uh, of Christ's words in different places of Scripture, Revelation 2.10. This was to the church in Smyrna. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Obviously, he's writing to Christians of that day about the persecution they were facing from the emperor of their time. Um, In Matthew 24, we hear similar words. In Matthew 24, verse 9, Jesus says, "Then, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all for by, by all nations because of my name. And we know that promise was for them at a particular point in time, but it's for it's for his followers at any time at any age. 
followers of Jesus Christ. He said, men will hate you because of me. So we need to have that in our mind, that that's a promise from Christ that we're going to face on some kind of level the, the hatred of the world, the opposition of the world. James Boyce says this. He said, in light of Jesus' teaching, what we just looked at, there's obviously there's many more Scriptures we've looked at. In light of His teaching, what is surprising is not that Christians have been persecuted and, and killed all throughout the periods of human history, but that so many have not been. That's what's surprising, guys. And, and in many cases, that's us. Just because of the nation we've been born in. Right? And we should be thankful for that. We have not had to face the, the situations and the threats that really the majority of the church has faced in all of history. And I think some of that's going to begin to change. Obviously, we're seeing things change. Uh, John Fox, he's the one who wrote Fox's Book of Martyrs. He, he pointed out in his, uh, in his book, it, it says this, that Jesus Christ died first, quote, as the inspiration and source of all martyrdom, right? So, so when, when believers have to give up their lives, what, what are we doing? What, what are they doing? They're, they're following in their master's footsteps. He said, the world hated me, it's going to hate you, right? Servant is not greater than his master. So we can, we can see, just real quickly, we look through uh, some church history, uh, biblical history, and we can just see, we can just see a picture of, of this whole idea of martyrdom. We see Stephen stoned to death in Acts chapter seven. You guys are probably familiar with that that account. He's preaching to his the Jewish people, right? He's stoned to death. They, they just couldn't take it. They could not take the message. They were under conviction, and they stoned him to death in Acts chapter seven. And in Acts eight one it says this. And on that day, meaning right after he was stoned to death. It said, on that day a great persecution began against the church at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So you see it in the early church. We see it in the book of Acts. Next, next was James, John's brother in Acts 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, now about the time Herod the king laid hands on some of them who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And I think we're all familiar with the fact that all the apostles died by death except John, right? He was sentenced to, to the island of Patmos. So we see this in the early church. Uh, Nero, the Roman emperor from 54 to 60 AD, 68 AD, he martyred. He had thousands of Christians put to death. Remember, that's the context of 1 Peter, Right? Christians fleeing for their lives, the same as we hear over in Afghanistan, other parts of the world. Uh, Emperor Domitian of 81 through 96 AD, he also brought much persecution as well, had many Christians executed. Roman Emperor Diocletian of, of uh, around the around the fourth uh, century in 303 AD, he led what is. Which, what church historians call the Great Persecution, where anywhere from 3,000 to 3,500 Christians were killed as a result of his persecution. Why, why were they persecuted in the early church? 
You know, we've talked about some of these things, I think, in, um, in our context in Peter. Obviously, they're persecuted because of the message they preach, right? That Christ is King, that He's Lord, that there's no other way to heaven. That's going to offend a hostile world. That, that message and that message alone. They also were persecuted because they refused uh, emperor worship, right? It was a well-known thing that, that you pronounce Caesar of that day Lord. And who did they pronounce as Lord? Christ. I think that really helps us maybe in context with Paul's words in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Because to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you were saying Caesar is not Lord. And what you were doing, you were, you were giving yourself a, a death wish. They were also called atheists during that time because they didn't worship all of the other pagan gods. They were called atheists. Isn't that funny? They were accused of cannibalism. We're going to take the Lord's Supper later today. We're going to read. We're going to get out of our uh, normal passages that we've been looking at. We're going to read a passage in John 6 where we talk about eating Christ's flesh, drinking His blood, right? Those words. Well, they were accused of cannibalism for using that kind of language. Because those unbelievers who were blind and dead in their sin, they didn't understand this language. They were accused of incest. Always calling each other brother and sister and expressing their love for one another. Right? They were meeting in secret. So the Roman world, the Roman authorities thought, well, they're meeting in secret because they're cannibals and they're committing incest. But think about it. Why did they meet in secret? For fear of persecution. And the more they were persecuted, the more they met in secret. And the more they met in secret, the more the authorities wanted to persecute them. So it was a vicious cycle. These are just a few, a few examples. Fast forward over a thousand years to a man named John, or depending on who you listen to, Jan Hus. John Hus. Really the pre-reformer, about a hundred years before the Reformation. One of many burned at the stake in 1415 for preaching justification by faith alone. And then obviously the reformers of the 16th century and following, the centuries following, thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters executed, mostly by the Roman Catholic Church, mostly for preaching that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So we see it. What about in the last hundred years, the, the communist regimes that we've seen, the former Soviet Union, the Chinese Communist Party, obviously still very powerful. North Korea, the story I just shared. All of these are atheistic. All of these are atheistic and, bi- and the Bible is their biggest threat. Their biggest enemy. And our brothers and sisters, thousands upon millions have been executed by these satanic regimes. And then obviously we know that some of this stuff is, is, is it's coming our way. It's coming our way. So we need to be prepared. And then obviously on the news here in the past two weeks, we just see what's going on in Afghanistan with, with, with these, um, you call them radical Islamists, they're just following what their book says, right? In many ways. But we see these, 
You know, I've read many things about the church over there in hiding, knowing, knowing what, what awaits them. Um, I've also heard, I've also read many things how the church is growing, very has been growing, and even during this time is growing. These last few weeks, the church is growing. But in some of these areas in the world, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, it's been the goal of the enemy to, to really just commit complete genocide in, in parts of the world. And, and the uh, I don't know if any of you guys watched the short video I shared on GroupMe from a heart cry, but the missionaries over there who had, who had communication with these Christians over there, if you guys want to know how to pray, their prayer request is that, is that there would be peace, peace in that land. Um, you know, that's one of the things. And through God's providence, us being over there the last 20 years, it really helped us, this church become established. And it grew a lot over the last 20 years. And so obviously, there doesn't need to be peace for the church of Jesus Christ to grow. But that's coming from your brothers and sisters. That we would pray that there would be peace there. But just stories that you read of, um, you know, the... The, the Taliban and others have, have told them, we know where you're at and we're coming for you. And they know what's going to happen if they find them. But they continue to meet. They continue to worship Christ. So we can be encouraged and strengthened by their example. So I just shared a few of these examples down through church history. This is, re- this is the reality of the Christian church. It's the reality of the Christian church even before the New Testament. You go back in the Old Testament, the people of God, the church. You go all the way back to the very beginning. Two brothers, right? What did Cain do to Abel? Because his deeds were righteous. He murdered him. And you think of others. Maybe they didn't lose their life. But you think of the prophet Jeremiah being thrown into a pit, right? Left for dead. You think of Daniel in the lion's den being thrown into the lion's den for his faithfulness to God. You think of his three friends being thrown into the fiery furnace for being faithful to God. Prophet Isaiah being sawn in two. And so we just ask ourselves, why? Why are all these people so brutally treated? And it's because they're faithful to Jesus Christ. Faithful to the Word of God. And so with that being said, guys, let's look at, let's look at verses 9-11, through 11, okay? Um, four points today. The revealing of the slain is our first one we're going to look at in verse 9. The revealing of the slain. Verse 10, we're going to see the roar of the redeemed. Verse 11, we're going to see the, their righteousness and their rest. And then lastly, we'll see the response of their Lord. So the revealing of the slain, the first thing we're going to look at in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So these are the ones who were slain or killed, obviously, for their faithfulness. Okay, That's who we're looking at, for their faithfulness. There may be many people killed down through the ages for different reasons, but these here that we see in the text are killed, were killed for their faithfulness to the Word of God. Clearly revealed in the text. They had remained faithful to the Word of God 
Right there in verse 9, they had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. I think the first part's rather clear, right? The Word of God. They were faithful to the Word of God. What does it mean by the testimony which they had maintained? Does that mean like their personal testimony? Well, no, think of, think of who's writing this, right? The Apostle John. Over in 1 John, the same writer, John says this. I think it will really help us understand what is meant by the testimony. In, John, in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, he says this. And the testimony is this. Can it be any clearer than that? The testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the testimony. Right? The Gospel. They remain faithful to the Word of God and to the Gospel message that salvation is found in Christ and Him alone. If you want a good verse to memorize, guys, there, there you go. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. It doesn't get any clearer than that. That's the testimony that God has given us. That we have eternal life and it is in Christ and Him alone. They remain faithful to that. You know what that tells us? Because I don't know if you guys realize or not, but you know there's other people in other faiths, other religions that get martyred. Right? I mean, over in communist China, they, they, they kill Muslims just like they do Christians. Okay? So, But what does this tell us right here? These people right here? We know who these are before the throne or before the altar of God here, these are those who held to this testimony. It's not just anybody being killed for their faith. There's Roman Catholics that are killed for their faith. Again, Muslims that are killed for their faith. But these were Christians. These were Christ followers who held to the testimony that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's the testimony. These precious souls before the altar... Obviously, they were rejected, right? While on earth, they were rejected. They were, they were hated. I would encourage you, if, if you don't, to, to read accounts of the persecuted church. It really puts our faith in perspective. What they go through. I mean, hated, eventually discarded of like a piece of garbage. That's the only way I can think of it. I mean, treated just like a piece of garbage. Like filth, like scum. Some of the brutal ways that we see our brothers and sisters suffer and die for the name of Christ. What's interesting, I think, we can take, we can remember, as you guys remember what remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus? And and you know, he came in contact to the risen Lord Jesus and Christ knocked him off his horse. Do you remember the question that Christ asked him? Did he did he say this? Did he say why are you persecuting my church, Saul? He didn't say that, did he? He said, why are you persecuting me? That's really important for us to remember, guys. That's important for you to remember in your personal life. When you're, when you're being persecuted and somebody's coming against you, you need to remember who they're truly coming after. That's so important. You see, just like Saul, he couldn't actually get to Christ so he's persecuting the church. But in, but in the eyes of the Lord, there is no difference. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's the nature, that's the hostility 
of the fallen world. They can't get to Christ, so they go for His followers. And it reminds us we're in a spiritual battle, are we not? It seems like we've been going back to this verse every week, but it lays a foundation. They can't get to Christ, so they go for His followers. Why? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And we see it played out. That promise in Genesis 3.15 that the children of darkness are going, there's going to be enmity, there's going to be hatred, and it's going to result in persecution and even death to the people of God. It's going to happen. That's not going to change. That will not change until Jesus Christ comes back. Doesn't matter how many people in this world are evangelized, how many people have become Christian in this world, the curse will remain on this earth. Creation has fallen, men are sinful until Christ comes back. That's not going to change. It will always be here to some degree. You think about these believers, guys, these believers who were discarded of, had their heads chopped off, burned at the stake, skinned alive, all of these horrific ways to die, left for dead. But here we see that they are very near to God. In verse 9 it says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. I'm not going to get into the, uh, the different uh, illustrations of what the altar means in this, in this sermon, but just know this. This, this. this phrase, underneath the altar, it's just the reality that they're in God's presence, that they're very near to the throne. There's an intimacy here. They are loved. They are near to their Lord. Have you guys ever remembered being near somebody, maybe when you're a kid, who, who somebody who you knew loved you, somebody who you knew was strong to protect you? Most of the time, that would be a father, but that's not the reality with everybody. Maybe it was a, maybe it was an uncle, maybe it was a grandfather, maybe it was a pastor. But you've been in the presence of somebody who you know loves you and can protect you. Just multiply that times an infinite amount. These believers are near the altar. They're near the altar. They're they're uh, near their, their Lord whom they died for. What a blessing. What a blessing. Next we see their roar. The roar of the redeemed. You know, I had to try to keep the alliteration going. And so, roar is not a stretch because in verse 10 it says this, they cried out with a loud voice. That's what that means. They cried out with a loud voice at a high volume, in other words. They were crying out. We're going to see what they're crying out here in a moment, but they were crying out with a loud voice. And this phrase, crying out, it also implies insistence and perseverance. They were continually crying out to the Lord. Much like uh, in Luke 18.7, the parable of the, uh, the widow who continually was crying out it says this, Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? That's, that's, 
That's what's going on here. They're crying out to Him. Consistently. With perseverance. Loudly. And then, and then what is their cry, guys? The title of the message today? How long, O Lord? It says they cried out with a loud voice. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You guys ever find yourself crying out to the Lord when you see true injustice in this world? I'm not talking about woke injustice, but true injustice. When you see your brothers and sisters being butchered, you hear about it. When you see the the slaughter of the unborn, just as a pravity, you're thinking, how long, O Lord, are you going to put up with this? That's what they're crying. And and, and they cry out, they, they... How long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is always a reference to unbelievers in the book of Revelation. And so what are they crying out for? Are they crying out for like personal revenge out of, out of hatred? No. Think of, think of rather they're crying out for vindication of His holy name. You're holy and true. How long are you going to tolerate this? In other words, He is holy and true, the text says right there. You're holy. You're true. You're righteous. You're just. How long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to allow your church to be massacred and run over? How long before you judge, Lord? That's the question. Psalm 94.2 Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. That's the idea. Genesis 4.10 The Lord speaking to Cain after he had murdered his brother. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Have you ever thought about what that meant? Is his blood literally crying out? No, think of it like this. What happened to Abel was dealt with by the Lord. In other words, Cain didn't get away with it. That's what the phrase, the blood crying out. The Lord said, your brother's blood, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What about the billions of aborted babies? You think their blood's crying out? In that regard, I think so. You know, you think about you think about just all of the ways that, that we cry out as believers in our hearts. How long are you going to tolerate this before you wipe this country off the face of the map? Because we know you're holy. How long will you tolerate this? The, the, whole, the whole phrase, their blood is crying out, means their perpetrators, they're going to be dealt with. Because God is just and holy. You know, you think about the whole, the whole issue of the, 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 the aborted, the murdered babies, the unborn babies. And how patient God must be to hold back His wrath and just unleash it. 
for the few of you guys that were here when, when we had the when we had the ceremony for Hunter and Savannah's first child they lost, it was God it was called God's grace toward babies. And there are some phrases that, that the Lord used in his word about these little ones. At first he said they're mine. Multiple times he, he describes them as mine, and he describes them as, as his innocent ones. And so, yes, the Lord takes note of every single little soul, little body that's ripped apart. Their blood cries out. And you think of the man who just retired in Norman, Larry Burns, who who has made a living. He's become very wealthy off of the blood of babies. And he's not a spring chicken. Judgment Day is approaching. I would say a good example how to pray for your enemies is to pray for that man. <clears throat> pray for that man that God would save him. Because aside from that, he, he's going to face the judgment of God. But that's what this means, guys. The guilty. The, these who are slain these believers, they will be dealt with. So in the same way, what about our brothers and sisters in, a, in, a, in Afghanistan? We think, how long, O oh Lord? Does it not rip your heart out when you hear these stories of these Christians who are no different than you and I? And, they, and they're being hunted down. Does their blood cry out? Yes, it does. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That's always such a great reminder. And we'll talk about that more in a moment, about who really has the victory in the end. Whether it's the persecutors or those who are being murdered in the name of Jesus Christ. But how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Psalm 94, verse 3 the psalmist says this, How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked triumph? That's the prayer right there. How long are the wicked going to triumph? Does it not seem like that the wicked triumph? And it's a natural thing to ask, How long? That's the very question they're asking here under the altar. How long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long will You allow these satanic movements, these communist regimes, these, this Islamic satanic religion, how long are they going to do this? William Hendrickson says this, the saint in glory does not desire personal vengeance any more than did Stephen. But he yearns for the coming of that great day when, when the majesty and holiness, the sovereignty and righteousness of God in Christ shall be publicly revealed. That day is coming. That day is coming. So beloved, these, these saints who have been slain, they are praying for justice. That's what they're praying for. 
And so I've already asked you, but, but I ask you again, do we not feel the same in many ways in our hearts? How long? Do you, do you ask that question? How long? God, how long? You must be patient. When you look at what God did to places like Sodom and Gomorrah, you're thinking, how long, O Lord? We should, be, we should be doing two things by way of application. When we think of our brothers and sisters, for example, because it's fresh in our mind, in Afghanistan, for example, we should be praying this. This should be our prayer. How long, Lord? How long are you going to tolerate this? We should be praying that same prayer. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters that God will protect them, that God will glorify Himself through them, that the Gospel will be advanced through them. We should be praying for the persecutors. That God would save them. That God would have mercy upon them. Remember Saul. Saul was a persecutor. Saul was a terrorist, if you want to put it that way. He lived to hunt down and murder the church of Jesus Christ. So we should be praying for them. And obviously, it should cause us to have an urgency to preach the Gospel to those around us. Knowing that because God is just, judgment is coming for all. And so to answer that question, they say, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Or to give an, to give an example of how that will be answered, you can look at verses 12-17 through 17 in that same chapter, and then we're going to look at a passage in Revelation 19 to see a glimpse of that day coming. He said, I looked when He broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it rolled up and every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains on the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? That day is coming. Revelation 19.1-2 This is really just a uh, recapitulation or a repeat or the same truths restated in Revelation 19, verses 1 and 2. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true. Remember, how, remember what their prayer was? Oh, true, holy and true God. Because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who was corrupt in the earth with her immorality. And He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. The day of His avenging will come fully and finally. But we see next in verse 11, there meaning the redeemed, those who were slain, their righteousness and their rest. 
In verse 11, And there was given to each of them a white robe. We'll stop there. A white robe. First of all, we'll see their righteousness. The white robe symbolizing garments of righteousness. In Christ, right? Not their own. In Christ. Revelation 7.14, probably just on on one page over in your Bible. said, I said to them, My Lord, you know. And He said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Obviously all symbolism. But but their white robes, it's a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. White also represents purity, holiness, sanctification. So one thing that's important not to know, guys, this is not some special class that... The, the idea of these white robes given to these ones who were slain, it's not some special class that they're getting just for dying for Christ. Okay? Because there are those in church history who have purposely sought martyrdom because they thought it meant something special. Maybe a special place in heaven. That, that's not what's going on here. They are dressed in white, not because they died for Christ, but because Christ died for them. Okay? Big difference. So it's not, some, it's not because of some special work that they did, like gave their life, that they're dressed in white. It's because of what Christ did. So just remember this. God, remember He's perfect. He's perfectly righteous and is judging. He's going to reward those who were faithful and who were willing to be put to death the same as He would reward those who were put to death. Right? He knows the motives. Again, it's not death is not some kind of special work that the Christian performs to earn a special place in heaven. Or Really, I mean, you go back to... We were listening to church history yesterday driving down to Texas. And we're on the period of the, uh, the Crusades. And many of those Roman Catholics, they thought, or the, the Pope taught, that if you want to guarantee your place in heaven, you can skip purgatory, just come and fight in the Crusades and die, and it's instant. What what deception? What deception? Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says this: if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his what? Cross and follow me. Guys, you, you understand what that cross represents. Those people of that day did. The disciples did. He's saying, and what did the cross represent? The cruelest form of death. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me? Yeah, what He's saying is, you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to give up your very life. At the very least, right, die to yourself. And it may very well cost you your very life. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Those North Korean believers in that photograph, I don't think I already said this, but the missionary told me that that was always part of their Gospel presentation. Was they told these people in presenting the Gospel, if you want to follow Christ, there's a very high chance that you're going to be dead within a year. And he said the response was great. And there wasn't a lot of false conversions in that area. They knew what they were coming to. They were coming to take up their cross. And I was hearing that the same this week in reading 
and listening to what's going on in Afghanistan, these believers have accepted it. They look at it as, well, I mean, you read the book of Acts and it talks about this. It's our turn. That's their mindset. It's our turn. We're going to keep meeting. We're going to worship. They know where we're at. It's our turn. We get to die for Christ. Not that it's not frightening. But that's their mentality. It's our turn. Because that's what the Scripture says. Richard Phillips in his commentary, he's quoting Leon Morris, but he says this, quoting Leon Morris, white, this is another interesting fact about these white robes, white is the color of victory. The martyrs appear to have been defeated by their enemies, right? I mean, when the world sees a poor, pitiful Christian get their head chopped off, that poor, pitiful Christian, right? In the eyes of the world, the eyes of the persecutors. But he says this, the martyrs appeared to have been defeated by their enemies. Actually, they were given victory by God. And then Phillips quotes this, what a statement God makes. Okay, These, This whole white robes, what a statement God makes. He says, since the Roman emperors who persecuted the church, they wore white robes in their triumphal parades. And God is saying, who are the victors? The victors are those who are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So we need to remember that. When we see all of this can be put into application, when we see, maybe someday, guys, when we're in that position, and we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to give up my life for Christ? Think back to these texts. Guys, absent from the body and present with the Lord for the believer. They're the victors. Anybody who has ever died, right? Anybody who has ever died a martyr's death who were faithful to the testimony that eternal life is found in Christ, that he who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life, they are the victor. Somebody who is truly born of God's Spirit, truly faithful to Christ, faithful to the message, truly died a martyr's death in the name of Jesus Christ, they are the victor. And the persecutors, the ones who look like are the victors, they're the losers unless they repent. <clears throat> so no matter... No matter how bad their death was, no matter if they were burned at the stake, like many have been, their heads chopped off, skinned alive, we're victorious in Christ, guys. The, 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 the Islamic terrorists over there, what they see now is they see, in, in their warped mind, they see Allah giving them the victory through what's happening. That's their way of saying, Allah has given us the victory. But in reality, they're deceived by the devil. And they're at rest, secondly, in that verse. In verse 11, they're at rest. Just meaning a time of blessedness. They are refreshed before the altar. Revelation 14.13 says this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead 
who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds will follow. Their deeds follow with them. These believers are resting now. They're resting in a way that we cannot fathom. And that's, that's for any believer who's in the presence of Christ. They're resting. Resting from their labors, right? So that's, that's the final rest, obviously. And, and probably even more so when we, when we receive our resurrected bodies. That's when it's full and final. But does God not offer us rest here and now through the Gospel? Amen. What did Jesus say? Come to me all who labor. Right? Heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and and find rest for your souls. This is that rest that's fulfilled. I think of my friend Jeremy. He's, He's resting now. He's not battling no more. He's resting. Resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's that's these saints here. And then lastly, let's look at the response of their Lord. Okay? So I think it's real important that we as we as we went through this text to, to remember, guys, that, that what the world says and what appears to our eyes here on this earth as defeat, it's not defeat. And I know you guys know that, but it's so good to be reminded from the word of God. These brothers who are sisters who are giving up their life as we speak around the world to these satanic movements. Okay? Yeah, it's it's horrific, it's graphic. You 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 your heart goes out to those left behind, but for them it's instant victory. And so lastly we'll see the response of their Lord in verse eleven B. So it says, There was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Until their number is complete. Let me ask you this. Does God know who and how many this number is? Obviously. So, so what, he, what he's talking about, really, he's just referring to those, I mean, his eternal decree. Right? So it, it's like this. Uh, for those who were here last week, and if you weren't, maybe you read it, chapter 6 in Pilgrim's Progress. Guys, you remember we talked about that last week? Remember when evangelists told Christian and faithful that, that one of them would be put to death? He had that knowledge in the, in the story. I mean, obviously, that knowledge comes from God. God knows. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, obvious truth. God knows when that very last one is going to be, like the verse says, killed, martyred. It says, And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So just think of it this way, guys. Right now, the world that is in opposition to Christ is still permitted, they're permitted by God to persecute and even take the life of His children. Why? Because the Gospel is still being preached and God is still saving sinners. And so when you have the one, you're going to have the other. 
So God is going to permit it until, until that time. It's, you know, the whole idea when we think, man, when God saves His last elect, and then it's over. He's going to come back, it's over. It's the same idea. In the same way, you know, He's saying that this is going to go on until that last one is put to death. There's going to be a last person saved. There's going to be a last person martyred. Dennis Johnson says this in his commentary, the days of God's calendar are marked off one by one in the blood of the martyrs. That's what he's saying. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. That's one of the ways we can count down Christ's return. Right? Oh, there's another one of His elect saved. Oh, there's another one of His elect martyred. And obviously you guys know that the word martyr just means witness, but the idea of in this context of having your life taken. What, there's going to be a final... I wonder who that's going to be. I wonder who the final one to give up their life for Christ. You could say the first one was Abel. Way back when. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is God's patience toward sinners. But again, He's waiting on that last sheep of His to repent. He's patient. Patient towards sinners. But beware, sinner. What does the Scripture say in 2 Corinthians 6.2? Behold, now is the day. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we say that, right? We say it. We say it. We remember it. It's good to say it. It's good to remind people of it. And one day, that's not going to be true no more. The day of salvation is going to be gone. And so you must, we must warn people we must be warned for those who are not in Christ that now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of grace. And so as the church, guys, really, in, in, in closing, as the church of Jesus Christ, what is all this saying to us? When we think about the, the application of, um, of, of praying for our brothers and sisters, of praying for their persecutors, of preaching the gospel. I thought of the, the truth that, that Christ made. We need to be at work while it's still day. Right? While it's still day. While, while we have the chance to do these things. We need to be at work while it's still day. Busy about what God has called us to do. And so lastly, beloved, be encouraged. Okay? Be encouraged by the truths that we've looked at today. That those who die the most brutal deaths here on earth in Christ, they're the victors. And we're going to be with them someday. An unbeliever, be warned. Because as we're seeing in this text, those who have been slain, they're not crying out to the Lord in vain. He does hear them. Let's pray. Thank <clears throat> you.
Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your promise and Your Word. Thank You that we can trust You. That You're trustworthy. You're faithful and true, Lord, like this text says. You're faithful to save. Because of, your, because of who You are, Lord, we can trust You to save when we come to You through repentance and faith, God, and in the same way, we can trust You that because of Your holiness and Your justice, You will judge. There will be nobody get away with, that gets away with any sin, much less these ones who are taking the lives of Your people. Justice will come. We pray for mercy, Lord, for them. We pray for those who persecute Your church now here on earth, Lord. Those who are guilty of the blood of Your saints, Lord, have taken their life, God. We pray for them. We pray for their salvation. Lord, they're no worse than we are. They're no worse than we were before we knew You. We pray for them, Lord. Many of them caught in the clutches of a satanic religion, Lord, and just totally brainwashed. We pray for Your Spirit, God, to move in the midst of the perse- our persecuted church, Your persecuted church, Lord, in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in China, and other places, in Nigeria, all around those places of the, of the world, Lord. We pray for Your Gospel to advance. Lord, we pray for Your church to grow. We pray for many of your, the persecutors to be saved themselves, Lord. God, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.